0: Welcome back to Movie Bros. I'm
1: <laughs> there's one hundred percent of podcast out there called Movie Bros. Yeah. there has to be. They're so we, every- even as a joke, I don't even think we can we can introduce <laughs> ourselves that way.
0: Uh, I'm one of your hosts, David Bell. I am Jason Pargin. And I think you're a host, right? I would call you a host for this, for this? yeah,
1: for this series, I'm setting in. Well, yeah, Tom is away.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as always, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, for people who are just joining us, I mean, you shouldn't be just joining us. There is a like a two-hour uh, previous episode that you can watch with your ears. That is, uh, we're 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 going over uh, kind of just problems that we have with modern blockbusters, uh, spe- most specifically in the writing. Uh, we're we're calling out uh, tropes and and techniques that uh, we feel should not should not happen anymore yes. or not as, nearly as much
1: specifically yeah these are things about story character things like that we're not going to complain about like the quality of the special effects mainly because i think that's things we have less expertise on at least yeah. you know i'm a professional storytelling person you write screenplays that are in the process of being produced i don't know what can be said or not or what Yeah you i am about.
0: a i am a Hoping to be a professional storytelling person soon, I have a single script that's currently optioned and i'm I'm working on others and you know uh you know that's pretty much it there's nothing i don't no one told me I can't say stuff, you know. <laughs> Uh, so,
1: like, last week we focused on issues with character and dialogue and things that are, are should be very basic, we feel like, when telling a story that modern blockbusters frequently fail at with shocking regularity, mostly having to do with the way movies are made now. Big movies are made now. Like, obviously, yeah. you can go deep into the streaming services and find small, you know, heartfelt movies that are... that. Do not break any of these rules, but the big movies now—these are things that we see come up a lot and seem to, to be trending in the, the bad direction. So
0: I think, yeah, I think it's movies that aspire to make a, a billion dollars. You know, uh, yeah. Um, I think TV has been really good lately. I think indie has been really good. Certain genres have been really good, but when you're making a blockbuster now as a studio, uh, it feels like their starting point where they're coming from is like built for them to fail. Um, why that is we'll get into in a later date for now. We're just talking about the examples of that. And, and this episode is specifically about story structure, about how movies put together their narratives. Yes. Uh,
1: and this is, I, I, I almost hesitate to use the word, st- the term story structure, because it sounds like an insider Term, but right. these are basic things that when you are telling a story to a human, that if you are making up a bedtime story to tell to a child, there are basic conventions you know to follow in terms of you know explaining what's about to happen or why it's about to happen or, or how to build tension that movies fail at. And again, we're gonna use the same disclaimer we said last time. We are not these are writing problems. We are not blaming the screenwriters. They are they are put into impossible positions the way these films are made
0: today. It's a process, yeah. Um, it's a process, and it's hard to pin down a specific person whose fault it is. Uh, and yeah, most often, I, I especially lately, having sort of been working on uh, a screenplay for something that you know aims to make a billion dollars it's that kind of script i feel a lot for the screenwriters cuz you can sort of a movie like watching the tomorrow war which we brought up a lot in the last episode you're not, like i don't get mad at the screenwriters anymore i get sad for them where i can see like their struggle um that said i'm sure the screenwriter made a lot of money and is perfectly happy uh yeah and so I guess let's, let's, you want to dig into it? Yes. Yeah, let's do this. Um, We, we're, we're going to start by talking about plot twists. Um, Something that, you know, I think always creates issues. Um, But specifically in this case, we're talking about plot, plot twists. Uh, And this does feel like something that uh, happens more recently that are not earned, unearned twists. Twists that aren't foreshadowed. And in fact, when you watch the movie a second time, you're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Or wait, that completely ruins the point of the movie.
1: Yes, it undermines the emotional through line, or it clearly was added later. As we've mentioned in previous episodes of when I've come on the show in the past, we've talked about movies where they did the it was all in the protagonist's imagination twist but then their imagination was stuff that they weren't there to see. Right. Like, so that includes scenes that you weren't in, like in your, you're so crazy that you imagined things that you were not aware of.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, um, the recent example is in, a, in, in something I actually really enjoyed uh, the second fear street without spoiling it. A lot of that is a flashback told from one character's point of view and there's a reveal that it's actually from a different character's point of view. And it's like, wait, but they know things that that character didn't tell you. Like, it's it's a lot of that. Uh, where you go back and you watch it knowing that. And you're like, there's no way this person could have known that stuff. Or like um, that Holly Berry movie, Perfect Stranger. Where, spoiler she turns out to be the killer. Even though there are scenes where she's by herself scared of the killer. And it's like, oh, so that was for us. That was for the the people watching the movie. She's not doing it for any reason.
1: Yeah. Or there'll be a case where the killer is shown to us, the audience, like over her shoulder, but she doesn't see the killer. Yeah. But it's like, well, but if she imagined it all, who was that for? Yeah. W-
0: what are we watching? Um, a One that no one, probably no one has seen this movie. It came out recently, The Woman in the Window. Jason, did you see that movie? I have seen it
1: come up on some menu of a streaming service, but I have not watched it. Is it on
0: Netflix? He um I, I Do you care if I spoil it? <laughs> no.
1: no? Hey, anyone listening, we are free with spoilers and these are spoilers for recent movies. Cause the entire yeah. point of this, these are complaints about these are recent trends we don't like. So yes, go ahead.
0: That's one that definitely does this where, the plot of it, it's like Rear Window. She, This agoraphobic meets the new neighbor, this woman, played by Julianne Moore. Uh, and then later, he sees her get murdered across the street by her husband. She reports it, and a different woman shows up and is like, no, I'm I'm this man's wife. And the whole movie is like, oh, is she gaslit? What happened? The obvious thing is Julianne Moore was never the wife. Um, something that happens at the end as a twist the whole time she has a um she's a landlord and um her her neighbor who's also paying rent um has a scene where he has like a woman he's sleeping with and it turns out to be julianne moore and she in front of this guy like describes her her name and he never brings up the fact like oh i know what's happening it's this other woman no one ever says that and it becomes the twist of the movie so when you watch the movie again you're like so many times people could have stepped in and prevented this from happening. Uh, and that's, I think that's more or less the kind of twist we're talking about, where it's like, after the twist, you you realize most of the movie is either unnecessary or nonsense.
1: And here's the thing. It, the broader point here is that the desire to insert a twist is so pervasive that right. the the idea that at the end of, for example, the Wonder Woman movie there has to be a twist that the villain isn't who you thought it was. There's no reason for that. There's no twist in Indiana Jones. There's no twist in you know what name a classic there's no twist in Jaws where it turns out right. well, it wasn't a shark. It was a serial killer in a shark costume. The idea that you need this, and I guess the sixth Sense, when it made billions of dollars that that convinced everyone that every movie had to have a twist, even though they're totally misunderstanding why that twist worked, that you can watch the sixth Sense multiple times and it continues to make sense it's still right. and and the the twist is tied into the emotional core of the movie. the twist brings that character's arc to a close, it works perfectly but now the idea that we're making an action blockbuster and that like, I get it. The people liked the twist with the Mandarin and and Iron Man three, but I still feel it where it's like, okay, what's it going to be in this movie? We have to find out who we thought was the bad guy is not, or who we thought was the killer is not whatever. And as if that's the only way to surprise an audience, or that's the only way to keep the audience engaged. And that's silly. The idea that you can, that you can not make a Wonder Woman movie without concealing who the, the antagonist
0: is. Right. Until there's the end this,
1: is bizarre.
0: There's this need for like, it was me all along, you know, where they, yeah, they feel like the, like, it's not even necessarily a twist. It's like a, butt weight moment uh the tomorrow war has one which of course we mentioned a lot previous episode where the reveal is oh the aliens were always here and we can just go kill them now uh when you when you learn that you realize oh so the entire movie was useless uh and i think that that happens a lot army of the dead has one that is huge i thought which is you saw army of the the dead right yes um which is that they're supposed to be going on this heist. They've been hired to go and uh, get this money from a casino. We learn that they don't even want the money. The people who hired them. All they actually want is zombie DNA. So that happens when the guy who's sent to like go along and make sure everything is going to plan betrays them. Uh, locks them in the vault and goes to get the zombie DNA. The problem is that f- we see... The way he does that is he goes to this specific car right outside the casino and right at the, like, the wall to get in and basically uh, gets the zombie's attention and takes her head, uh, which is something that they almost do at the very beginning of the movie. Like, we learn that they never even had to walk in a casino. They literally just had to get over the fence into Vegas, get the zombie's attention, and take her head. And the reason why they made it all a heist is unclear because there's no reason why they can't hire people and say, hey, we're trying to get, we're going to just pay you money. We need to go in there and get some zombie DNA, which
1: by the way is a perfectly fine plot for a movie. Yeah. This is a a heist movie and the heist, instead of getting a bunch of money, a bunch of money, is they've got to capture not just a zombie? There's like a special smart zombie or something. Yeah, that they they call it. it they it, it's it's going to be hard to get. It's there's you're going to, have to fight through a bunch of zombies to get it, and then you can have all of the the like the heist movie tropes, like the double cross, and then the double double mm-hmm. cross. Like that's all going to be in there. I get that, but you can just it still has to make sense at the end because the whole point is there's multiple people competing for the prize and you're stabbing each other in the back. And then the fun isn't seen who eventually gets away with the prize. Instead, they do it where it's like, I'm hiring you to go into zombie infested Las Vegas and get the money from this casino. And they go in and get it. it's like, aha, this was all ruse. We actually just needed this much easier thing. It's like, well, why why didn't we just do that? Like, like it, yeah, th- there's no, our, our interests are not at odds. You could have paid us each like a thousand, thousand dollars. We'll go in there and get you a piece of a zombie. Like that's, that's fine. Like that's, and then the, the fun of the movie, the twists are in all of the complications in trying to accomplish this. And, in right. the people within their crew, like backstabbing each other, like, well, I'm going to get out here. Like, instead of splitting the money with all of you, I'm just going to take the zombie back there by myself and collect the full payment. Like that. let that be the motivation. But the twist, I guess that they're afraid that we would see that coming. And so there's this thing where it's like the only way to get a twist that they're not going to anticipate is to make the twist just total nonsense.
0: Yeah. I think you nailed it with the heist movie genre, too, is there's this weird instinct with heist specifically to have an Ocean's Eleven moment uh, That that... In certain movies, deflates it completely. I think about um, the new Black Widow. They do essentially a heist. They go onto that floating base. They get kidnapped, so they, so it seems, and then twist. Oh, this was all part of the plan, right? Everything was to get the bad guy's like weird code that he, for some reason, has to like drag a ring, on a pad to do, um, and it, it actually dissolves the tension. Because it means, oh, nobody, like, this is the third act. This is the low point, And it turns out it was all part of the plan. And nothing matters. So they, like, a lot of twists, I feel like, are, are those moments are ways for movies to, like, have their cake and eat it, too. Where they're like, oh, you're worried about the characters. Oh, twist. It was all part of their plan. and it's, And it's like, oh, okay, so all that worry you did previously is for nothing.
1: Yeah, and these are movies that I guess are clearly only intended to be watched once. Yeah. Um, Because if you try to watch Army of the Dead a second time, like that's going to stick in your brain because they actually make a point. like We're right here next to the door, and we have the thing that you now know is the thing they actually want. It's like you could have just walked out with it.
0: It, Yeah, you could take it right there.
1: Everything you watch from here on out, it's like, well, this is all stupid. Like, why... Whereas you, know, you watch The Sixth Sense a second time and, and it ties into the central theme of the character. It's like, oh, this guy is aimless, not because he's having a midlife crisis. It's because he's a ghost and he, he he's right. hanging on to this old life, not metaphorically but literally like, literally. like Everything about his behavior and about his connection to this kid, that's like, oh, it's not the connection of a middle-aged man to this, this kid who needs his help. It's the connection of a ghost to a living person who can actually talk to him. And and it all makes perfect sense in the end. But it's that whole thing we talked about in the previous episode. Again, if you've not listened to it, please go back and do. But the concept that the movie needs to be like engaging in the moment, but not any more than that. It doesn't need to be like a cohesive whole. It's all about is this moment exciting? And so, like, the twist that in the moment is shocking because, well, I didn't see this coming because it's total nonsense. Of course, I didn't see it coming.
0: Right. It's the thing where uh, uh, for a twist to be good, it has to actually be solvable. Also, I mean, it, it's that thing of like the famously the sixth sense. They didn't actually have the twist until like the fifth draft of that script because they weren't thinking about it in terms of we need a twist. It came organically and made a lot of sense where now it feels like twists are more of these forced ideas did you see the movie serenity
1: uh which
0: oh the matthew mcconaughey one
1: oh is that is that what it's called
0: serenity it's called serenity Where it
1: turns out he's like inside a video game or something yeah yeah yeah
0: you absolutely need to see serenity it's one of the most batshit films recently and it's a film that feels like it started with someone thinking up a plot twist and then working backwards from there. And the twist is so dumb and weird uh, that the movie is just fundamentally broken. Uh, In a fascinating way, I would argue. In a way that's very fun to watch. Uh, Where, yeah, Matthew McConaughey turns out to be in a video game, which we learn halfway through the movie, that is made by his son, because he actually died in Iraq. And the son is playing out like this therapeutic game uh, and then it's unclear whether or not he's become like self-aware if he has a soul, uh, and the movie just kind of falls apart after that, uh, spectacularly. Like it's an amazing, it's an, it's, it's an amazing film to watch because it's so fucking weird. Um, but that's a, that's a twist that like, you can never really, like you can kind, there's actually kind of clues to it at least. But it's so out of nowhere that it's like, what, how could I possibly have figured that out? And it's something that I know Tom has talked about a lot. Is like, if you're making a murder mystery, the, the answer has to be solvable. It has to be something that you can actually solve watching the movie, right? Same with twists. Is that twists should be things that on second viewing you say, oh, all the signs were there. The problem is that I think we, we expect them now. And it's become just like a plot device as opposed to a major thing that happens in a movie. You know, like M. Night Shyamalan, we watch his movies now and we are just like sitting there looking for the twist. Uh, Yeah. And
1: it's... I'm trying to think of... Like in horror you don't have to have a twist. I can't emphasize this enough. Like I get that there's a twist in Friday the 13th that it turns out that it's his, his mother, whatever, but there's no twist in Halloween. Right. There's no twist in nightmare on Elm street. Like you can have the cat and mouse game between the protagonist and, and antagonist. You can have someone trying to solve a mystery where you're uncovering more information but it's not a twist. So, like, if you wanted to tell that story about a kid who tries to reconnect with his dad through, like, a computer simulation, you could just make the movie about that. Like, openly make the movie about that. Right. You don't need I- to have, like, this, oh, the floor has fallen out from under my feet. You know, oh, my gosh, it's like it's like Fight Club or whatever. Everything I thought I knew was wrong. It's like you don't. You don't have to do it that way. You can just tell that story. You can trust the audience to want to just follow that story.
0: Here is, I think, where this happens a lot is I was working on a script with uh, producers, and we were writing something that was pretty straightforward. And at one point, that question came up. Someone said, well, can can we do something with this? Can you tell it out of order? Can you do something narratively weird with it? And the reason why they wanted it made a lot of sense, which is that this script is going to be on a desk and it needs to stand out because it's going to be amongst a bunch of other scripts. And I think that's why this happens a lot, because you look at a film like Dread, um, which I think might have a couple of little twists where it's like, oh, bad good guys are actually bad, but nothing like big and complicated that's a very straightforward film, right? Or John Wick. Um,
1: yeah, there's no twist in John Wick.
0: Yeah, but the, the, it's really hard from a screenwriter's perspective, if you're just writing this and putting it out there, to get something like that noticed. Because a lot of the fun of movies like, like that is how they're done. As opposed to the actual what's on the page. And I think that's how some of these get made. I think that's why a movie like Serenity gets made. Because that script excites some producer because it's different and new. Uh, they never stop to ask, wait, but is it good? They're just like, look at this weird like catch. This weird added bonus on this story. Uh, and then they think about movies like Fight Club. Or, or a lot of Fincher f- films that have twists or an M night Shyamalan film. And they're like, we can be the next that. And I think that's how that happens with something like army of the dead. a movie like, or like wonder woman, that feels more like a weird plot device that they've just accepted that needs to be in movies now, you know?
1: Yeah. Cause it's a case with the, if someone's making a blockbuster and they've got a clumsy twist, or somebody's making just like a small mid-budget thriller and it's got like a clumsy twist, like I get it. Like there you needed to sell it right. in, in one sentence. You needed to sit down with somebody and say, okay, it's going to turn out that this woman and the serial killer, like the victim, of serial killer, it turns out they're the same person. That she's actually stalking herself. It's like okay, there's right. our there's our hook. That's what people are going to remember about this. Make it. If you're making Wonder Woman or you're making you know any of these movies where you feel like okay, there's got to be what appears to be a climax, and then there's got to be like a fourth act where we where it's almost like a video game boss where it's like we've revealed that right. the actual villain was this other person or. Um, It's like we've got to follow a point here where within franchises they'll do this, where a subsequent episode, it's really the same kind of issue where they will have some sort of a, like the James Bond movie Spectre has the twist that everything that happened in all the previous Bond adventures was all orchestrated by the Blofeld or or whoever the villain is there. And it's like, you don't need to do that you're you're either if your twist ruins the rest of the story and in one Woman it does because it makes a lot of the themes not make any sense Mm. um or if it ruins like watching a previous movie and you now know oh this he wasn't actually in danger this was all staged by the villain that we're going to find out two movies from now that seems to me like to be so obviously wrong that it's a mistake that no one should make. And I don't necessarily know. I don't know at what stage of writing Wonder Woman you decide, okay, well we need it to like the one man who's being nice to her. It's got to turn out that he's right. Ares, the, the God of war or whatever. And then you've got that ridiculous thing where the guy looks exactly the same when he's. <laughs> a, yeah. It's David
0: Thuis. Uh, who's like a yeah British actor. He was in the Harry Potters. He's not someone you think of as Ares, the God of War. So he's like still got his mustache and stuff. And they cut,
1: yeah, they cut to like a, yeah, like a flashback where they show him the CGI Greek god version of him, and it looks exactly like him. Oh yeah, and it's almost it's, yeah, it's almost funny. Uh, but it, because it doesn't make any sense, it's a, it's like the whole point is that it's the last person you'd suspect. It's like well, yeah, we right. we didn't suspect because it it doesn't make any sense. It's,
0: right. You mentioned the like um, Spectre, and I think there's a big part of this, and this can get us into the next section, which is the blank was behind it all twist, um, which is what they do in Spectre, right? The idea is they say, and the, the next section we want to talk about is the idea of a sequel or prequel kind of ruining the previous movies. Um, because, And this often happens now because we make movies like you know, way after the fact, like the, you know, uh, and so it's this need to keep making sequels and prequels. And if they, you know, don't pay attention, uh, or don't understand the previous films, they can do this. But inspector, the reveal is like, we're, we're the reason behind everything you've done up until this point. Right. That's, that's the, uh, reveal there. As I understand it, if, yeah. if
1: if I was misunderstanding that movie, somebody can correct us in your comments no, or whatever. I th- but I, I thought that was – because his whole thing was like, I am the orchestrator of all of your pain. and right. it, Like they are so powerful that literally everything you thought you were doing, it was all just in service to this moment for – Right. I, because it turns out Blofeld is his stepbrother.
0: Something. I think this I, is – yeah, this goes back to – we talked about the the, the – chosen one idea, right? In the previous episode where a character like Harry Potter, um, the thing that also comes with Harry Potter is Voldemort. Where it's this weird, we do this weird thing with characters where every character needs their own Joker. You know what I mean? Uh, And so I think what they were trying to do in Spectre is they thought this was the last Bond movie and they wanted to really raise the stakes. So they, they love this idea that it's like everything leading up to this point was them i think they did this in the sherlock holmes as well in the tv series uh they did this in um star wars with palpatine where palpatine's like oh actually snoke was me everything was me and what that does is create a situation where it feels like nothing matters right
1: yeah up until that point that that third star wars sequel movie is the platonic ideal of introducing curve balls that just ruined the yeah. previous movies altogether. It, yeah. It, Palpatine every, it, is
0: introduced in the opening crawl.
1: Yeah. It, or yeah.
0: resurrected rather.
1: Um, and, and it's a twist. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's true. Nobody saw that coming, but that's because it was literally never mentioned or foreshadowed yeah. or anything or conceived of on the writer's end prior prior to that prior to that moment and after the original cut of the movie had uh, already been shot i i fully believe i think palpatine was added in reshoots but i don't know that because no one will come out and, and say right. so
0: who can say um yeah the the last jurassic world fallen kingdom does this where they introduce um, um james cromwell and he's just like oh yeah did you know hammond had a partner this whole time here he is And it's like, well, why haven't we seen him until now? And the reason is because they hadn't thought him up until that moment. Uh, But they, for some reason, felt like they needed that character. So they do this thing where they're just like, yeah, he was always there.
1: And it's it's like, oh, okay. It's that need to put the previous movies in some new light that I don't get. Like, I get that it has an impact on the audience because it's like, aha, everything they thought they accomplished in the previous movie. It turned out it was all for naught. It's like, well, but that I still would like to be able to revisit that old movie. <laughs> it's like, right? Like, no, that it turned out in the sequel that that was all and that was all a dream someone was having, basically. It, right. Yeah. And I, and instead of like writing a a fresh adventure for these people, it's got to be it's the same thing because they're almost treating sequels like prequels, where it's like the sequels got to. You know, because like the Terminator movies, I realize those are time travel based, but it's all gotta like retroactively change something from the previous movies. The Saw franchise is entirely this. Like every sequel yes. is like, actually the guy you thought died in the first movie, it turned out he was in on it. It's like Right. Oh, okay. Like Scream
0: Scream does this as well. Scream three, they reveal the bad guy was there from the beginning. Yeah. Um like- they love that.
1: It's like it's going to make and it's like why though you're you're making like I get that prequels come with a you know a built-in limitation that you have to make it connect to the next movie that already exists but on a sequel it's like why not just do new do new stuff why do you right. feel like you have to it's like well this we have to undo some plot element from before and again it's in the name of that twist style where the twist is so it it blows you away so much that it ruins the entire franchise up to now. It renders everything they were doing pointless. Like, I think
0: there's, I think there's a few reasons. I think nostalgia sometimes plays into it. Like I think about Terminator Genesis where they like butt into Terminator one and rewrite it. And they're like, yeah, you know how nobody, you know how everybody loves Terminator two. Let's erase that from the timeline. (laughs) And it's like, what a weird decision to make. And I think it's because it's as... Since they're not planning them in advance, right? They're, uh, they're just trying to make it so that the stakes are higher and make it meaningful every time. And the best way to do that is to have a character go, no, I'm actually the bad guy all along. And now by defeating me, it's... You're really... It's the cathartic ending. It's... it It's... You you compare that with a movie like Lord of the Rings, where it's like they have a very set idea for this trilogy, and like imagine if instead of that, uh, they killed Sauron in like the second movie, and then someone popped up and went, actually, I'm I was the guy pulling the strings this whole time, and now you have to defeat me. Where it's like they didn't they didn't do the work to set up a villain like a Thanos that we eventually get to. So they have to, like, create them at the re- last minute. That's what it feels like. Um, and that, I think, is a new thing as opposed to, like, you know, there's always been narrative resets. I was I, An example I was thinking of is in the Jack Ryan show. He has a – he, like, slowly builds a relationship with a woman in season one who vanishes from season, season two. But I don't think that's any different than, say, like, John McClane keeps breaking up with Holly in every movie, you know? Like they love to do that, uh, and that's been around for a while. I think the specific idea of like changing, like moving the goalposts of who the villain is, that feels very new to me.
1: Yeah, or the the very weird and egregious sin that the new Star Wars movies made, where now the end of Return of the Jedi was apparently totally meaningless. Like what they accomplished Completely, there, because yeah. the, the Empire just rebranded and came back bigger and stronger than ever before. It's like, okay, well, what was that all about then? Why, why did all of those people die? Why did Darth Vader sacrifice himself? If Palpatine, if that was just like a, a photocopy of Palpatine or whatever the, (laughs) whatever the lore wound up being, it's like, don't you understand that that movie still exists? I I would like to be able to, to go back and still watch it. But it's like, now we know, Oh, Palpatine had actually uploaded his consciousness to the cloud and, right Or whatever. I don't even remember. I'm going to be frank. I don't oh, remember how they justified.
0: Having just watched it, they don't. There's a part where a character says, how could that be? And someone rattles off like cloning, Sith magic, who can say? Like they literally, that's what they do. They rattle off a bunch of vague possibilities and then the movie moves on.
1: So, yeah. But apparently yeah. it's a technology that neither Luke nor Darth Vader were aware of, or else they wouldn't have relaxed after having thrown the Emperor into a chasm. Darth Vader would be like, Well, this is just the beginning, because he can he can make a new copy of himself anytime he wants. Right. <laughs> and, and can manifest an entire fleet of Star Destroyers. Like this battle that's happening outside right now is meaningless. Like he can right. th- he's losing nothing here. He can just manifest and like we've got to go do more. But of course, because that that hadn't been conceived of when that ending was shot. I get that, but the idea that when you're starting new, that your first impulse is just to erase, like the you know the stakes where we're saving the galaxy, and it's just like, oh no, they actually didn't save the galaxy. It's in the exact same peril it was before, just twenty years later, however much time seems to pass. Like, man, that that sucks a lot. Like, you can do this in ways where it's a brand new threat. That's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't have these exact same 12 names that the fans apparently demand in their Star <laughs> Wars coming back again and again and again.
0: I think it makes it really hard when these series put the fate of the world or universe uh, at stake and then they feel like they've concluded and then people won't let them die. So, like, I think that's what Marvel is currently going to be dealing with. Right. Like, literally, they saved half of the universe. Uh, and now they're expected to make more films. And I'm like, what could possibly be the next threat? Uh, the ex- escalation of that is going to be out of its mind. And it goes both ways where, like, prequels like The Hobbit feel like the most useless films ever. Because they're like, here's us here's fighting a dragon. And it's like, that's great. I mean, you know. In in a little bit, you're going to be fighting for the fate of Middle Earth. So especially what do I care? when
1: they have to keep dropping those hints. Now, keep in yeah. mind, in the background, you know, it's Sauron is gathering his army and, and Mordor and all that. It's like, well, why are we messing around with this?
0: Right. It creates a futility to either the movie you're watching or the movies you watched, where you, they they it like undermines either their own goal or it undermines previous films, like learning that ray can force heal people and that ghosts apparently can force ghosts can do stuff which they add in the last star wars and now you go back and watch the other star wars and you're like wait that would come in really handy like there's literally the reason darth vader became darth vader is because he needed he was seeking the power to bring people back to life which is something that ray just does now in the end and it's like that's that, it just makes everything feel dumber.
1: Yes, um, in short.
0: Yeah, and there's, I think there's a thread of that. Again, like, like, kind of like the Obi-Wan stuff, there's a Die Hard prequel coming up. That also feels like something where it's like, I can't possibly see that working because the entire point of that character was that he was an everyman thrown into this adventure that he had never done before. By creating a prequel, you suddenly trivialize the later films that way
1: yeah and solo han solo the entire point of that character in the original trilogy is that he is just a smuggler right he's not he's not you know in the Chewie is just his co-pilot like they are not both epic warriors that have been entangled in this central goings-on in this galaxy he is just a smuggler they ran into that's the entire fun of the character he he is just he's a small time like he owes money to a gangster and that's it, uh, you know, and that's and the entire character is him. Like he doesn't care about any of this and that he comes to care about. It. That's his character arc. The moment right. you go back and say, okay, well here's a young solo and then here's him having that arc before or, or like here, you know, it's just, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's like, here's, here's a young John McClane when he was doing heroism before it's like well that's if he was used to doing hero stuff then diehard makes no sense because the entire point right. was that he was you know out of his depth that was the the whole thing whole thing that made it interesting
0: i um, remember the joke when yeah people were like they're making a han solo uh origin story and people were like isn't that a new hope like isn't that what that's called because it's kind of the reverse of the blank was behind it all where they just have go back and make the emphasis or the meaning of the later films somehow meaningless but they have to make the prequels they have to make the sequels that's what it comes down to right
1: yeah you cannot simply tell new stories in that universe having a franchise means you have to have the exact same few names because yeah. otherwise audiences just won't apparently they, they believe audiences just won't won't tolerate it. If it, if it's like, well, Hey, it's still the same universe with the force and lightsabers on stuff. Only it's just, it's another corner of the galaxy, totally new group of people doing a totally facing a totally different threat, totally different tyrant. Nope. It's gotta be Darth Vader. It's gotta be the familiar costume. And it's like, man, have, have some faith in your audience. Some, you know, some little bit.
0: Well, there's a, and I, I, yeah, I want to, I want to transition over to, um, another remake prequel thing, which is that there's this need and it's so much in star Wars. And we sort of touched on it in the last episode to like fill the world with references to the previous stuff. When you're making a sequel, as opposed to focusing on the tone uh, of the world. And what I mean by that is there's this weird obsession with, like we said, you have to have the characters You have to have Darth Vader. Uh, Even though this world is so rich in its uh, atmosphere that you could make a totally different uh, story.
1: And people have done that. Yeah. There's there's video games that have done that.
0: That's what I wanted to talk about is like, yeah, yeah. There's um, Shadows of the Empire. Um, There's a bunch of Star Wars games. Um, um, What's the role playing one? Uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, Knights of the Old Republic, that new one that just came out. Even though that one does cram Darth Vader in it, um, but they do it really well. Uh, another example is Alien: Isolation, which is a fantastic addition to like the Alien universe. That is, it's Ripley's daughter, so it does kind of you know do the thing where it's like, oh, this is staying in the main um, plot, uh, but it creates. It doesn't try to just constantly reference Alien or do the same things. It's just a really amazing recreation of that world, like the old style computers. And you look at that, you look at something like Prometheus and Alien Covenant where they don't recreate that world. They, they make it like updated and new and they just obsess with the mythology of aliens, something that we don't give a shit about. And they're trying to show all the references. They're like, "Oh, you know, the spaceship in the in the first one. How did it get there? We're gonna show you uh, things that we couldn't really care about, as opposed to just making something that exists in the universe and nailing the point of it. Like um, Star Trek: Picard's another one we talked about that how it's filled with references, uh, but they completely miss the tone of TNG." And I would argue tone is actually the thing that matters, right? Like, you can kind of do both. I'd say the reason the new Blade Runner is seen as good is like, yeah, Harrison Ford's back, but it really doesn't feel like he needs to be in it. Um, That It's almost like that's an extra bonus because it's more about, oh, we've created, we've extended this universe of Blade Runner in a way that you didn't even know you wanted to see uh, with all new characters and all new problems and yeah. yeah star wars just cannot figure that out
1: and with the, like the picard show the fact that they it's like well we've got to cram in uh the the borg woman uh, 7 of 9 right. or, and or riker yeah. we've got to get them that they otherwise did not seem to have watched any of the episodes of the the next generation of the show, because no, the, they the, really didn't. The, yeah, because the entire point was that you know, like each episode tackles like some sci-fi, you know, philosophical problem, and there, there's action, and there's there's stuff that explodes, and there's there's things happening, but it's a it's a matter of Picard having to think his way through a conflict, and often be like the voice of reason, you know, and trying to like puzzle out what you know what it means and all that. Like if you kept that tone but cast someone else to be that guy, you could you would make a better Picard show, even if yeah. it didn't have him in it. <laughs> like if it if it make that guy his son or something, but they misunderstand what it means to connect to the property. It seems like, and again, uh, uh, yeah, to to reemphasize emphasize what we've been saying, there is no doubt a directive that has come down, you know, from the studio whoever's in charge of it, like. No, we want to. We want to bring back Jonathan Frakes. We want to bring back this person and this person. We bring back Brent Spiner. Like we've got to get them all in there. Got to bring back Q. Uh, and you got to. And now you've got to find a way to do that. And then also we need like a lot of action. We need a lot of shooting. You know stuff like more from the movies, right. like stunts. Um, <laughs>
0: classic TNG. Action. Classic TNG.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and because that stuff looks great in their trailer, and that's what yeah. modern audiences want, and. If you want to make an action sci-fi show, just make an action sci-fi show. Make it about, you know, star somebody who's more of an action sci-fi man. But why make that your Star Trek Picard show? Like why? It doesn't make sense to me. But again, I know that it all comes down to business reasons. Again, neither of us are naive about how stuff is made. It's just it's that still, th- these are fundamental storytelling things that I, again, feel like these are objectively bad. It's not personal preference. I feel like you're not. Uh, things like not matching the tone of the thing that is supposed to be a spin off of, to me, that's fundamental because it's like, yeah. well, then why is it even the same franchise?
0: Also, I, I want to clarify on tone because I don't just mean atmosphere or like look. I think tone also encapsulates why people love the thing to begin with for example the first two terminator films are chase movies the first one is almost a slasher horror the sequel is an action but the, the the core of terminator is we need to get away from this unstoppable killing machine and we have no idea how to stop it we have no idea how to kill it we have no idea what we're going to do and then they have to think up a solution uh and the fact that John Connor is the savior of mankind in the time travel is almost like a incidental. It's a footnote. It's, it's a device used to get the movie going much like in the aliens movies. The, the Prometheus aliens um, are a device. They're a device to get the, the eggs there and then the movie can begin. And as these series went on, they got like so bogged down with the side of things that we don't care, that they forget like no, just be a chase movie. Just yeah. be a horror movie. Just be be the thing that they love to begin with. The f- um Mad Max Fury Road, which is our like our star student, uh of course nailed that because they're like we don't even need to have Mel Gibson in this. You know, you don't no one you don't need to drag out old mel gibson like they did with indiana jones mad max can be anybody and let's just make it fun and a car chase because that's what people like you know apocalypse car wrecks stunts we got it let's go you know
1: yeah the first two Uh, terminator movies are not time travel movies no not at all because a time travel movie like you're dealing with paradoxes and you're dealing with trying to undo this or that it's like the the philosophy of you know trying to prevent the apocalypse and that sort of thing is very much incidental. It's just the motivation is still here: as a child who is in danger, or right. here as a woman who is in danger. We are trying to get this person to safety. That is something anyone can understand. And then all of the bits of it that are masterful comes in the staging up the action and the tension and how it unveils what the terminator can do and, and all of those things. And you know, it's cuz the whole point is if you any time travel movie, if you think about it too much, it totally falls apart. Yeah. Like everything about what what the machines are doing to try to to stop this war. Like they're they're choosing the most ineffective possible like to go kill, you know, like John Connor as a as a child or kill his mother or whatever. It's like that's not that a, a logical computer would not come up with that. And it doesn't matter it's because yeah. that's not what's great about it. But then in the later movies, when it starts to be about, Oh, look, we, the fun as we circled back and intersected with the old movie. Cause via time travel, it's like, that's not in the spirit of what they're doing at all. It that's not. That is so, that is so not the point the same as no one who watched the first two alien movies. The point of the the central thrust of those movies is not to discover the origin of the aliens. They don't they know nothing about the aliens at the end of the second movie. They they don't need to. They're they're these very smart insects that use humans as hosts. They're terrifying. And then what's engaging about it is trying to get the characters to safety and get away from them. And that's all you need. Because from there all of the brilliance can unspool from all of these great moments and they're in the room and they've got the the tracker, the motion tracker and then suddenly the tracker has the aliens in the room with them and it doesn't make sense. Like that is There's so much genius in the geography of that scene and how they set it up and everything that you don't need. There's no twist in that movie. The closest thing that movie comes to a twist is that they thought they had killed the queen and it turned out she had outsmarted them, but that's not a twist. That is a, that is the back and forth between hero and villain. You get in a movie where you thought you had won and then they, you know, they, they survived. And then now you have to kill them for real that they didn't like find out at the end that it's the, the aliens were secretly a genetic uh, weapon designed by Burke or whatever. It's, you don't need that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, if they made a friday the 13th movie about jason as a kid that was like an origin and showing like him, you know, drowning and his mother grieving and like really like like expanding that part and it's like we yeah, we don't we don't care about that. That was literally a few sentences to explain why this thing is just murdering people. We're we're done with that. Uh Like, it's so... I get what Ridley Scott was trying to do with Prometheus, but it blows my mind that they made an alien film and didn't have an alien in it. Uh, That's so weird.
1: And people could say, well, Alien 3 and Alien 4 sucked, and those were what you're asking for. It was just more adventures of people fighting aliens in a new location. Right. But they... I thought those... You know, like Alien 3 struggled because it's hard to go backward to where you're just fighting a single dog-sized right. alien after the previous movie was – you're trying to fight your way through an entire hive of them. Um, and then Alien 4 is a case where it just
0: – All right. <laughs> i right. I'm not going to uh, win people over by saying this. I would argue neither of those films suck, uh, but I know most people think they do, and I get that. I, thought, I always thought the, the, the pattern of the Alien movies that I, I loved was the fact that the first four they give to a completely different director who makes it the way they would make it, which I always thought was interesting. The first one, Ridley Scott, makes a horror movie. Um, the second one, James Cameron, makes a crazy action movie. Third one, David Fincher, makes, like, well, a mess because of the production of that film. Uh, But it still has, like, hints of David Fincher. And the fourth one is Jean-Pierre Junette, who did Amelie and City of Lost Children and a bunch of new stuff. And he makes it like he makes it, which is, like, weird and, like, dystopian. Uh, And so I always thought that was neat about the films. But, yeah, traditionally speaking, the third and the fourth are very bad. And, in fact, the third one even does some of the stuff we're talking about. They kill off Newt... And uh, it nullifies and the end of the yeah. previous
1: movie. And again, yeah, you can avoid that just by not having Ripley be in the third movie, make it a new adventure. Right. These aliens land on this cool prison planet. And now these prisoners That's- with no knowledge of what this thing is, they've got to try to solve it. Make the prisoners just dis- more distinct characters, make it so that everybody doesn't look identical because they're all bald or whatever. Like, like don't try to force in it because now it's like, okay, the entire thing of trying to get the little girl and and Hicks off the planet. Well, it turns out that was for nothing. They just died while they were, they died in their sleep.
0: And that is also when they start obsessing with mythology where they're like the corporation is trying to weaponize them. uh, And they get more into that and they sort of, you're right. Is that getting rid of Ripley is really like, would have, would have rescued that series earlier because her story was kind of over.
1: She Actor dies at the aliens. end of part three for part four. They have to bring her back as a clone. Yeah. And again, I understand again, we, we know how movies, we understand that they, you have to get the star back in there. I understand that you can't get the studio to fund it if you don't have the star attached, but I would argue like if you want a strong woman as the hero, it doesn't have to be Ripley. It doesn't have to be Sigourney right. Weaver. There are other actors you could give it to um who could bring that home you, you know the one that's on that prison planet mm-hmm. you can have women there uh, a lot
0: of this is like it's doing the safe thing do it versus doing the thing that makes more sense narratively and and that's always going to be a problem right the studios are like no we have to bring back this this and this and then they have to do it we're talking about like if you're just purely telling a story what's best for the story itself as opposed to the franchise uh and it's it's hard to separate those things sometimes i think yeah because just
1: it, give me just give me an alien movie that's a fresh start uh, the aliens crash yeah. on some something some big ship or something and prometheus
0: just... imagine if it was um on like a cruise ship You know, just do, just do, because you're right, that's what they should have done with Prometheus, is they should have just reset it and been like, okay, just new scenario, new hero, and we're going to find new moments to be had in this. Uh, And yeah, there's a million ways they could have done that.
1: Yeah. As long as you're preserving the core of what's good about it, the core of what's good about it, the nature of the aliens, the nature of the tension, the action, the staging, like the confined spaces, finding a good setting where they work, where they're scary. That's right. the core of the series. The core of the series is not Ripley. The core of the series is not Bishop. Like they even bring back yeah. Bishop in alien three as it's like the guy who they they modeled the cyborg after something. It's like, why it, it and, that's all that's what this boils down to like the the core elements are not the things you think they are, they're not the references, no. they're not even necessarily the characters and I, I i believe audiences would still be on board, but i I don't know there's someone there there's someone keeping track of uh box office receipts at studios who strongly disagrees
0: <laughs> um all right well let's let's talk about um action scenes. Next, uh, one of our next points is um, useless action scenes, action scenes that seem to happen without establishing what's at stake and what's happening. Uh, this is clearly a problem, I think, that comes from like, like, I saw the like, I love the new Mortal Kombat movie, I love it. It's not a good movie, but I love it. Uh, there's a scene where they're walking in the desert. And Sonya and Kano literally like put down their stuff and Kano's like, let's fight. And they fight. And I'm not exaggerating that much about how the scene functions. And I think it's because a producer was like, listen, you're this many minutes in, you have to have another fight scene. So they added that in. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from.
1: Right. They, I mean, I 100% like, again, we're going to have an episode that finishes the series where we're going to walk through how these movies get made. Yeah. And basically it boils down to you've got a series of note cards and you've got a series of set pieces you've decided. And when you're trying to pace the movie, they're saying you've got to have an action beat every X number of minutes. Right. I swear you can really feel where they've just inserted one. Having two characters who have no reason to fight suddenly just fight is a really common one. Uh, it's And I think, personally, in Justice League, when Superman, they resurrect him from his death or coma or whatever, and he starts attacking them, like that's purely just so they can have that for the trailer or whatever. But I didn't feel any tension during that scene because the whole the whole point of any scene in any story anyone tells is that you as the listener or as the viewer or whatever you want you're rooting for something to occur you're this right. character is running from the killer you want the character the the character to get away so when they start fighting like every punch every kick should have drama for you and it should be staged to maximize that drama where you're like oh my gosh they're not going to make it out of here And justice league, they need to resurrect Superman to go fight this bigger problem. You're just in a hurry for them to get to that next part. Like, of course they're going to bring Superman back. So they resurrect Superman and he, for some reason decides he's going to start fighting them. And then they, like he, he like shoots his eye lasers at Batman, which again should have just melted Batman instantly and does not because that him, can't, yeah. that can't happen. So is he trying to kill Batman? Is he, what is he trying to do? You feel nothing in that scene because obviously he's not going to pop out and kill the justice league. The more importantly, you are not involved in that character's motivation. You, you're not, you're not with Superman, like understanding why he's trying to fight these guys. And with their,
0: Oh, sorry. They're well, with, just very vague about it.
1: Yeah, and with the Justice League, like they're just trying to not die until he comes to a senses. So it's just like this very expensive, loud, explosive scene with a lot of cool shots. But I'm not emotionally invested in one outcome or the other. He's clearly not going to kill them, and then you know, Dark Side just rules the universe now, and they're not going to kill him. He's not going to remain evil. So you're just like waiting for okay, get on with it. Like, like the, the, the main plot of the movie is not this, the plot of the right. movie is all of you getting together to go fight the main bad guy. So it's just like, okay, we've got to stop and have noise occur here.
0: It very much, you very much feel that with justice league because even in like the long ass Zack Snyder cut, they really don't explain what Superman's deal is. Uh, and yet because of the way superhero movies work, Nothing's at stake. No one can die. It's the same as the fight in uh, the airport fight in Civil War where it's just a bunch of main characters fighting and not a single one of them can really uh, get hurt. I think John Cheadle gets, uh, Rhodey gets gets hurt and then he's fine later. Uh, and that's pretty much it. And it is really hard you even figure out what's going on in that scene, right? Like, can you can you tell me what why they're all fighting in that scene?
1: No, no the answer is, is for the trailer, and, yeah. and, and the answer is as we'll get into, like the staging of that, like that airport fight in Civil War, that had to be staged and location scattered and all that stuff years before they had a finished script.
0: Oh, like the, oh, the, uh, I have a news for you. Uh, there is no location scouting. That was entirely in a computer. That sequence. Uh, yeah. Either way, somebody <laughs> has to. Either somebody has to start Someone building to it in a computer. It. Yeah, a long it has to be time. Rendered.
1: Like that's in some ways even harder. So. Oh yeah. Uh, like all of that has to be they have to start in that process long before they've even nailed down who's going to be in the movie. Like they didn't know they were going to have Spider-Man in it until very late. Right. So I get it. It's like midway through the movie, this occurs, you know, like, and that's something goes back. Like P like the matrix reloaded, which we mentioned the matrix sequels, I think, in the last episode, but like the big car chase that is the, the, the central action beat in the movie they had to like start building that track. Like they built several miles of highway just to film that, that was all being built while they were still working on the script. And you watch the movie. It's not clear where they're trying to go and why, like they're trying to get away from the bad guys, but it's like, yeah, but what's, what are they, what's their goal? And and it's a series of extremely cool stunts. But the answer is that they had not worked that out in the script when they were building that nine mile track of, Freeway that they could do this great scene
0: it just had to happen yeah that's actually very similar with civil war because they're like fighting like you're on your side i'm on my side and i think what's happening is they're trying to get to a ship like they're they're trying to get to a plane at the airport but it feels like there's way easier ways to do this
1: yeah or like what Um, like knowing specifically what happens if they fail or what one side, because they can't, they're not trying to really hurt each other. So it's this weird thing where they're sort of right. like play fighting. Um, but it's, and we've, we talked, i I complain about Tenet a lot. I think that was actually a a really bad movie that had some spectacular sequences. Those spectacular sequences just embedded in a, just a yeah, mess of, of a movie.
0: Like, I don't think I, anybody's going to push back on that statement. Tenet was. A narrative mess.
1: But like uh, the the money shot from the trailers aside from like the reverse car crash, which is incredibly cool, but it was them like repelling up a building in reverse, like like reverse re repelling, but not via time travel. They were just like they just had a mechanism that would shoot them up yes. the side of the building. Then you watch the movie and it's just they're just doing that so they can have like a quiet conversation with an old woman and get some more <laughs> exposition. Like it's not even clear <laughs> why they couldn't have taken an elevator up.
0: Yes. They are literally uh, do you remember seeing like production photos of that and then in the trailer and thinking like, "Oh, this is gonna be a big thing. this is gonna be a big scene of the movie, and yeah, it turns out they literally are doing it because they just don't want to take the elevator, yeah, they're sneaking up to ask a woman a question and, and it's so it really felt like. Because they say something where it's like, we can't, there's security, we can't get through. And it's like, but surely there are, you know, easier ways of doing this.
1: Um, But the answer is that they had a series of exposition scenes and they needed something. Like at the script stage, at the plotting stage, you need something there. Right. So they're like, well, it could be a shootout with her bodyguards, but maybe we don't have to like kill people because then the cops would be there and it exp- like they can't like have a conversation after the like somehow when they were brainstorming it, it was like, well, what if they have to like rappel up the side of the building <laughs> to talk to her? And when you're watching it, you don't feel anything because everything about, okay, well, well, what happens if this fails? They're not trying to run from somebody. They're not trying to beat a ticking clock to get up there you're not, you don't feel anything as a pair. Again, we keep using fury road as like the, the ideal structure for an action movie, but that's a case where every stunt that occurs, it's clear what someone is trying to do. And it's clear what the bad guys are trying to stop them to do from doing. And it's clear that there's a ticking clock. There's urgency. It's like she has to get from here to there or else this is going to happen. And right. so all of the craziness that occurs, like they are jumping onto the truck because they're trying to stop her to get the the slaves back, like it's all crystal clear. And so there's emotion built into the stunts. It's not just people flying around on poles. It's like if this person successfully stops the vehicle, then the the army is gonna that's behind them is gonna catch up and then this is gonna happen. Like you feel every moment of it. And I think most of the great action movies that really stick with you. Have that like I feel like the first Matrix film like there's drama in every kick in that movie and every punch
0: absolutely. It also comes into uh, what we were saying the fact that these characters they need the action scenes but there's they can't hurt any characters. It actually reminds me a lot of um, it's a similar problem in horror movies uh, where like for example that Slender Man movie that everybody has already long forgotten. Um, they keep having these moments where Slenderman finds and terrifies the main character and then just vanishes because they can't kill her because she's the main character. Uh, and so you have to start asking like what does the Slenderman want? Cuz he seems to just be jumping out at them like in a haunted house. The Conjuring movies do this a lot too where they need to have they again there's a producer being like you need to have a horror moment. You know, you've gone 15 minutes you need to have a scare but the scares don't make any sense because they're not like the the ghosts don't seem to be trying to hurt them they're just jumping out at them and then vanishing and it's like well what is the point of this
1: is the conjuring movie? is that the one where the the demon has like black and red paint on his face it's like no that's insidious okay whatever movie like that I, i remember one of those movies where the character is like doing something with their face toward the camera. And then that demon appears behind them and then disappears. And the character never saw them, was never frightened by them, was not impacted. It's just, it was for the audience's sake. It's like, so does the neat, does the demon know they're in a movie?
0: Right. It's, it's like we've got to insert a scare,
1: but it doesn't advance the, Plot or raise the stakes or anything It's just like it's been too long since we've seen Yeah It's been too long since we've seen the The demon whereas again compared to Something like Jaws Like there's a very clear Which again I I like to use Jaws As an example because Jaws was a Big budget blockbuster summer movie Like it it wasn't Jaws is not some indie passion project It was this expensive Movie that made a, a Ton of money but there it's a very clear it's a horror movie it's a, you know it's a slasher movie but there's a clear proge- progression of stakes where you see the shark's capabilities and it you know as it does this and the heroes try to do this and they think they've solved the problem then it comes back, they don't insert like random moments where oh we haven't seen the shark for a while. let's let's cut back to the shark like it's it, it all builds to like this inevitable confrontation
0: right. Um yeah it, it it I think in horror movies they often make the excuse of like oh the demon is trying to psychologically break you down and that still creates the problem like oh for for what like it, it's a big horror movie thing cuz jaws is so simple it wants to eat you like that's it uh horror movies love this like weird vagueness of trying to explain like it it wants it wants life or something like that, and well, it's like what does that mean what's at stake
1: and like the uh, it the the clown the it movies oh yeah Pennywise feeds on fear or whatever but it, in general if you've between those two movies if you've shot like five hours of horror movie, you've probably got too much, yeah because there's a point where it's like okay, all of the characters are gonna go have an encounter now each on their own with something that's scary to them but I don't know. You're kind of waiting for them to get to the point where they fight the clown and, and uh, yeah. have to defeat him somehow. It's just a like, lot
0: of that. Oh, sorry.
1: But it's the same thing where I think they sat down with a series of scary scenes. Yeah. And that's it. it like, there's not necessarily a progression or a raising of stakes. Just like, okay, here's our horror beats. And then we'll, you, the screenwriter, you're going to write in some character stuff right. to connect it all together.
0: Yeah, it, that movie or that that yeah that movie starts with Pennywise killing a kid who's just alone, and then after that never does that again to any of our main characters. Even though he like he'll frighten them while they're alone, and then they run away, and it's like, what are you waiting for, Pennywise? Eat eat the children. They're right there. They're alone. You can do it at any time. You can show up anywhere. Like they show that Pennywise can be there at any point, but they have to because the characters have to live, he has to just like not do the things. Uh, you mentioned the length, and that's one of the things we wanted to talk about, which is action films or horror films being ridiculously wrong- long. Uh, which, why is that happening?
1: I, I mean, I think this all starts with uh, Titanic. Because once upon a time, there was a rule that if your movie was over, I think, two hours, you limited the number of showings a theater could do in a day. The Titanic was three and a half hours long and broke every record. And I think at that point, any action director, if it's Michael Bay saying, no, I need two hours and 45 minutes to tell this Transformers story, that they just can't say no to them because the excuse of, well, it limits showings just didn't work anymore. And the idea that you need pacing, <laughs> but it is if your if your action movie is two two forty five as it as at least one Transformers movie was, I can guarantee you, you have long side quests and fetch quests and stuff you've yeah. got in there padding out. You do not have a clear A B C like you know tense the whole time building to a conclusion. You've got you've got because you've not written like a great emotional epic. You've got a whole bunch of sequences you've decided you just cannot lose, and a bunch of dumb subplots that you've decided you cannot lose. It's all gotta stay in.
0: Right. That's um I found a fun little uh bit of information here. So in nineteen eighty seven there were about twenty two thousand theater screens in the country. In, in, in 2018, that number was doubled. It was 40,000 plus. And that's one of the reasons people are talking about is that they, there's just like, there used to be a time where it was like, yeah, it has to be short. We have stuff to do from the perspective of the theaters, where they're like, we want to get in as many showings as we can. Um, they used to have to double up theaters, stuff like that. Nowadays, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll devote an entire theater or two theaters to your movie, a movie like tenant.
1: Um, I keep in mind. And a movie- so
0: there's just less push from studios. Studios don't aren't like make it quick anymore. There's no incentive for that.
1: A movie theater in my youth was a place that had two screens. Right. Like we did not have a cineplex that has 20 screens. Whereas, you know, now I have four of them in my city, but where you know, like a blockbuster comes out. If they release you know, another Avengers movie, they'll have it on eight screens. That did not used to be a thing. Yeah, but that's but yeah, that's Um, part of it. Like I think there's just less room for the studio to push back and say. So now you've got, uh, you know, in the streaming era, now you've got a Snyder cut that. How long was it?
0: Four four hours. Yeah, which is which is
1: fine because people just watched it the, the way they would binge watch the man the Mandalorian, just like throw it on and it plays four episodes of an hour long show. Like they're not thinking of it as a movie. It's just a series of episodes.
0: That's that's what occurred to me about the Fear Street movies. Is if you watch them. They they advertised them as three movies. It's actually just a mini series that they put into three movies, and it makes it suddenly all makes sense. Where you're like, why did they make three movies simultaneously? They didn't. They shot a mini series, like they would Stranger Things, and they just edit it in a specific way that made it three movies, and that works for them. So yeah, I think streaming is a big part of it, right? Like a lot of these movies, it used to be that when a movie was really long, it didn't do that well. Sometimes like, um, Once 2001 wasn't seen as a success. Cause it was like, people had to sit in a theater and endure that. And I think now it's like, no, you'll be in the comfort of your own home. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but it does. You're right though. That is a horror movie or an action movie is three hours long. I do think there's some failure in the writing. Uh, Unless you're making an epic, unless you're making Lord of the Rings, there's no need to make a ridiculously long movie. Space Jam, the new Space Jam is two hours, which is fine if that was, you know, an action movie or or a sci-fi, but it's a kid's movie. That should be 90 minutes, which is what the original Space Jam was.
1: Yeah, animated movies, like in many cases, are even shorter. They'll be like 85, yeah. 83 minutes because animation moves very fast. Uh, you know, like it's right—it's it's sped up, but it's, it's, it's animated. So, you know, Pixar movies tend to be short, uh, or at least yeah. they used to be once upon a time. Dum-
0: Dumbo is exactly one second long. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but it, it is actually like, it's like 61 minutes or something.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's for kids. And also you can, in animation, you can cover a lot of ground in that, in that amount of time. Um, right. But, uh, but, but yeah, in general, just structure in general of action movies these days, which is our next point, like so much, so many of them are, they're structured basically like video games, where it's just a series of like fetch quests, like any plot where they've got, There's three parts of this object and we've got to collect them. I just kind of groaned because that's such a video game thing to do. I mean, I get it. Screenwriters grew up writing video games and their audience grew up uh, playing them. So that's something they're familiar with. But it doesn't, it feels like such a treadmill and it feels like just we're going to go here, we're going to go here, we're going to go here. And it's not constantly raising stakes. It's just changing locations to get your action beats in. And a lot of these movies you could have swapped around scenes and give them to you in a different order and it wouldn't affect anything.
0: It's all right. Yeah. Let's move on to this, which is that movies are built on a very much an and then system where it's, it's such a cynical view, but it really does feel like the points between the action or in a horror movie, the horror, it's basically the writer finding any excuse to get them there even if it doesn't make any sense um and i'm trying to think of like positive examples where it's you know people people could probably picture it where it's like it's cause and effect it's plant and payoff it's something's building towards an idea and the characters are either trapped and they they have specific goals they have to accomplish to get out um and in the case of Star Wars, the last Star Wars, which I recently watched, I I want to I want to go through uh, really quickly what the plot points are, because I don't think they were designed for people to actually pay attention to them. I think that's what it is. Um, in In Rise of Skywalker, it starts by Finn and Poe getting information that the Empire has a spy. Um, we, we cut to Kylo Ren discovering this, like, weird ancient pyramid, uh, like, a, like a small object. Uh, we have learned that the Emperor is back. The characters learn that, too. Uh, and they are told that these things are compasses that lead to wh- the planet Exical, where the Emperor is. Rey says, I'm going to try to find the Emperor. I'm going to start where his trail went cold. That's what she says. It doesn't make much sense, but that's a random pleasant uh, planet that looks like Burning Man. They go there. They run into Lando, who just happens to be there. He says they were looking for a guy carrying... And he literally says clue. A clue that will lead to a Wayfinder, which is the object that Kylo Ren had. This is this, is this compass that will find a planet that will find Palpatine. Um, they suddenly get attacked by stormtroopers. There's a speeder sequence where they're flying through random canyons and just like they don't know where they are. They don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to get away. Their speeder is blown up, catapulting them into quicksand. They fall through the quicksand, which happens to lead into a series of tunnels. In the tunnels, they find a skeleton that has a knife buried next to it that BB-8 finds. The knife turns out to be the clue they were looking for that will bring them to the wayfinder. On the knife, there's a language that none of them can read. C-3PO is like, I can read, I could read it, but I can't translate it because it's a Sith language, and my programming uh, makes me not allowed to do that, which is something we've never heard before. <laughs> so they have to reprogram C-3PO, which apparently they can't just do on their ship. They have to bring him to another planet to meet someone named Babu Frick, who can do this. Well, on the planet, they run into Poe's old girlfriend, the bounty hunter. Uh, she brings him to Frick. They obtain the information from C-3PO's brain. She gives Poe a medallion and says, like, this will get you on this ship. Uh, they use the uh, the medallion immediately after, uh, thus fulfilling that one character's entire reason to be there. Um, they, they get on the ship. They do, like, a crazy... Uh, Adventure, and at this point, just so we're clear, they are trying to crack a language on a knife that'll lead them to a compass that'll lead them to Palpatine. So they're finding a thing that's gonna help them find a thing that'll help them find a thing, and that's where we're at in that movie. And this is feels like such a I'm not gonna keep going, but it's a series of and then's. We have to go here, why? I don't know. Uh, this will lead us to here, which will lead us to here. And half the time, they, the characters aren't even doing anything to initiate this happening. As I pointed out, they literally fall into a cave that just has the answer. Um, it is, it's, it's. They, they do this in The Conjuring. They do it in The Fast and the Furious, where it's like you walk out of a movie. It, I think it's why these movies are movies that you leave and you go, I can't remember what happened. Because... It's all kind of nonsense to just get them to the next thing.
1: Yeah. And in fact, Uh, I'm going to draw the weirdest possible connection here. Okay. Because I know why they do this because I did it at my last job. When people who, those of you listening who are fans of the cracked website back when me and David both worked there, people ask, well, why are these articles in list form? one it makes them very easy to read because you can keep track of where you're at in the article but two on the back end it makes editing really easy and straightforward because someone yes. can come to you and say hey I want to do a list about like uh, for example like you wrote a column about movie twists that don't make that, that ruin the the movie that or that ruin yeah you know, the, the ruin the rest of the plot right. and then i can say okay give me give me six of them or seven of them, or or five of them, whatever. And then the editing process is a matter of plugging in those five items and getting five strong ones. And it's a very, instead of being this nebulous thing about, well, does the article feel right? Does it feel like it's enough? It becomes a quantifiable thing like, boom, we can just plug this in. So if you have a plot where nothing builds off the, like ideally in a story, everything builds off what happened prior I I keep referencing to raising stakes like you you uncover more information you know you the the nature of the threat becomes clearer you know the, the character is growing like everything that happens you know informs is informed by what happened before that and in a good script it should it should all work that way and the characters in the end should become closer Fury Road is very clean simple script you know they have a clear goal and then, you know, the, you've got a few characters and then the, the relationship between Max and Furiosa, they don't fall in love. But the nature of the relationship changes where they have to learn to trust each other, you know, over in the course of this chase. Everything that happens is based on what happened before. Yeah. If you it's are a series
0: of organic transitions. Too, yeah. Of like this turns into this turns into this.
1: But if you are making blockbusters on an assembly line. Where you know you've got X number of sequences you want in this movie, and you need to be able to swap them around if you need to, (laughs) and you don't necessarily know if this stunt is going to come in at the 60-minute midpoint, or if it's going to come in the third act, or if it's even going to be your opening You just know there's going to be a scene where this car jumps out of this skyscraper and lands in this other skyscraper. Why it's doing that, we'll figure out later. And where it goes in the movie, we'll figure out later. I think you wind up using this kind of fetch quest structure for the same reason we did lists, where it becomes very easy to like, you have like a modular movie where you can move scenes around, you can move sequences around and things like that. It's just that when you're watching it, it's just a row of things happening. <laughs>
0: right. It's, not- it's it's the same format as a treasure hunt movie. Like movies like Indiana Jones get away for, with this because it's literally, we're trying to find clues that need lead us to the next thing. But every movie has taken this up and it becomes weirdly like gibberish. The Fast and the Furious is a great example. Like the new one, there's like this MacGuffin that'll like, that'll like, what is it control satellites, which is, they love doing that one where the villain can control all the satellites. Uh, and then in order to figure it out, he has to like go to Helen Mirren at one point who all she does is like drive him, give him like a little bit of information and bring him to the villain's house. But they make that a big car chase, which is a good, it's a good instinct, but it's all just, and then I have to go here and then I have to go here and then I go here Tenants, another one where, like we mentioned, they have to go talk to a woman, so they they grapple up the side, and you're like, why are they even doing this? Uh, they like you could you could give them this exposition easily any other way. It's almost like dealing out very little bits of exposition, um, in these big scenes because they they are trying to like stretch for time.
1: Yeah, and I realize that like tenant it was that was not made as part of like a franchise, but it has, I think it wound up in the condition it was in for similar reasons Mm -hmm. in that he had certain things he wanted to convey. And that's that like, did they like are as a, as a viewer, am I sitting here on the edge of my seat? Like when they go sailing and the guy falls off the boat. Like, am I on the edge of my seat? Like I didn't even know what the consequences would be if he drowned or didn't drown. It's just, right. a thing. they make
0: it very unclear. It's
1: just a thing that's happening because in this movie, like uh, among, you know, he wanted to have like the tone of like a, a, a James Bond movie. So it's a, a bunch of very handsome people in beautiful locations doing exciting things. It's like, well, going out and sailing on that catamaran or whatever like that's a cool visual but they like exchange some uh exposition that you can't hear over the sound of the of the boat right (laughs) so it's It's,
0: i think well i think christopher nolan is he's like a sophisticated michael bay where like characters don't really matter to him he's trying to get from the next thing one thing to the next um but just he has more like high concept ideas i'd say than michael bay right yeah. So it, there's. Oh, sorry.
1: Well, no. It's just if people listening to this, like some of you are creative types, some of you have tried to write movies or write stories before on your own. It, it, for the rest of you, if you've never tried to write a story, you first like anyone can do it. You have the idea for a story, and it, like you could say, "Well, I've got an idea where it's like Harry Potter, only instead of a wizard, he's like a, a ninja. He goes off to ninja school. Like that's a great idea Sounds for great. For, a, for a book." Okay. When you sit down to write it, what you're going to find out is instead of being this magical process where images and dreams come to you, it's a very mechanical process of here's a list of things I need to tell the reader. Like, yep. like okay, how old is the character? Well, I have to convey that somehow. What's the character's personality? I have to convey that somehow. It, what's the character's abilities? are they do they are they already good with the sword or is that a natural I to, can, Like you've just got a checklist of things that the of information you have to transmit to the the audience, and a bad writer will obviously just have someone show up and say it. And a good writer is you you, you start with that and you think, okay, what's a creative way that this information can be conveyed? either visually or through action or whatever that propels the story forward. So like in a noir type mystery, you've got a detective is propelled forward by that character's curiosity. And so he's meeting this exotic range of characters and he's talking to them. But in each of those meetings, there's a conflict like that character doesn't want to tell you what you want to know. So you've got to outsmart them, or you've got to fight them, or you gotta threaten them, or you got there's like this cat and mouse game, and that's the drama. Like you, the audience, want to solve the mystery, and so you're watching this guy do it, and you're in the room with him, and you want to find out what and so later he comes back and he breaks into the office and he's sneaking through the desk, looking at the files, and you just know somebody's gonna come in that door behind him, and it's tense because you want to find out the information and you don't want him to get caught. It feels like some of these movies they don't take that next step because the only thing that matters is getting to that next action scene. So it's like, okay, yes, we have to get Ray and her crew to this next MacGuffin. So let's just have them fall down a hole. <laughs> and
0: yeah,
1: and then just, it's just there. It's just, it's just there. there they just know. it's just they stumble across Lando, then they stumble across the knife, then they stumble across. It's kind of shocking how many movies have that. And then they stumble across <laughs> blank right. structure because that's kind of the only way they can do it. Whereas if you had time to actually sit down with the script from the start, you would think, well, let's make this a fun like a- adventure where she's trying to find this knife where she's, she takes them there and maybe there's tension because they don't believe she knows where it is or they, whatever somebody tries to stop them. But If you just know you've got like a chase through the desert and then you've got a scene where they're in this tunnel, the only way to connect them is just to have them fall in a hole.
0: (laughs) It's so lazy because the other factor that you haven't mentioned is time where it's you not only have to give the audience all this information, but you have to do it in a specific amount of pages. Uh, And sometimes it's easier to just create quicksand. Um, And and I know, and
1: we, again, we, we don't literally mean lazy there. The the people who worked the schedule they put in to get that last star Wars movie made, those people worked themselves into the ground because they were given a completely unrealistic schedule because they wanted to make this release date.
0: It's hard to get information across really quickly in an elegant way. Some movies pull it off. Some movies don't, uh, that's like it's tough. Fury
1: Fury Road we can keep holding that up as this great example because that is a that is a passion project that George Miller lived with for 25 years. Like he was trying right. to get that made through the 80s, through the 90s, through the 2000s. Like he like he just obsessed over it. He wrote like an entire novels worth of material. So yeah, you can watch that movie and in the first seven or eight minutes, it conveys a mountain of information to the viewer with barely a word spoken like everything about this culture that they're fighting the, the nature of the hierarchy everything is conveyed very quickly very visually but that took a lot of
0: care right and you can you can go and look at more studio films like for example uh indiana jones raiders of the lost ark is the result of a writer having ideas shouted at him by spielberg and george lucas like you can find a transcript of that Where they're literally being like, you should put this in it. You should put this in it. Ooh, can we put this in it? And then the writer went and processed it and found really smart ways to introduce all the things you needed. You know, the first sequence of Indiana Jones, you find everything out about him without really them saying anything, you know? Everything about his
1: personality, how he solves problems.
0: Yep. That he hates snakes. That's the only thing where he just yells it. But everything else. uh, Yeah. And then... He just shows up at work, and the, they, the his boss is like, "We need you to do this," and they explain exactly what it is, and then we're we're off. Um, Back to the Future, uh, the first shot of Back to the Future shows Doc Brown's like crazy wall of inventions. A TV turns on. You see that plutonium was stolen. Marty walks in, all in the same shot, kicks his skateboard across the shot it hits a box labeled radioactive so you know all this stuff about doc and you haven't even seen him yet and it's literally the first shot of the movie because someone figured out all these little subtle ways to get that the things the information you needed without having a character have to be like oh that doc brown yeah i know all about him and having to explain what he is what he's like yeah
1: um, Meanwhile, in like Tenet, the way he finds out the mechanics of the reverse time stuff is he goes into a room and a woman, a very bored woman, just tells him. Yeah. And he's very just bored to him. find it out. like To find out that everything he knows about how the universe works is completely wrong, he's just like, yeah. hmm, okay. Like, all right. <laughs> like the, 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 the way time travel should have been introduced in that movie should have been him fist fighting with a man who is going backward in time.
0: Right, like and that, figuring out the rules. That fight was
1: where he's like, and it should have left him shaken to the core, where he's like desperately trying to find out. I just fought a guy who was going backward in time. Hey, am I losing my mind? Like, like what's happening? And then having, he meets Robert Patton, is like, okay, I need you to sit down because what I'm about to tell you sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's it's urgent that you understand this right now. And then, you know, that guy was actually trying to kill your daughter because your daughter is going to grow up to be the president and they're trying to kill the president of the youth. It's like, oh, my gosh, my daughter, I'll do anything to save her. What do I have to do? It's like, well, you're going to have to invert yourself through time. And then, boom, now, you, now you're off to the races. But instead, it, it's like he overcomplicates it so much it's not a dumb movie at at all. Like it totally lost me at points. It's just that it's so inelegant in the way it tries to lay out what it's doing, where it's just one conversation and after another, after another. And you can even see like the people in charge of locations and day and costume and everything. It's like, well, this conversation is boring as a dog's ass. So we, we're going to have this in like the coolest location possible. And they're going to be wearing the coolest suits and they're going to be strolling right. along this beautiful bridge. It's like, they're trying to sex it up because ultimately it's this person finding out a piece of information with no forward momentum. He, there's no urgency. He's not desperate to find it out. There's no one trying to stop him from finding it out. It's just a series of like quiet conversations. It's very, I, I could complain about the movie all day, but it, yeah, it violates a lot of these rules for, for a movie that should have been like, a world-changing movie by all rights. Like the, the concept, it's, everything is so great.
0: It's extremely weird how they aren't able to. It, it, that's what it comes down to a lot of times. Like that's remarkable. Like you got, you just had me thinking about Star Wars, the Knights of Ren characters who we barely see, which is Kylo Ren's uh, little little army. There, there's like five of them. Uh, they show up in in that movie. We know that Kylo Ren is trying to find uh, uh, Palpatine. Why not have, instead of Stormtroopers, the Knights of Ren attack Rey, and instead of finding the knife in quicksand, one of them is like using the knife, or one of them has the knife on him, because they're also looking for Palpatine. Bam, you just did an action scene that propelled it forward, but instead what they do is they as we're talking about, they do action scene, stop exposition, stop action scene and so on and so forth. Like they don't, because of the reasons that we'll go into later, they can't like combine the two ideas. Uh, And it makes, it makes it so that everything between action scenes is a series of gibberish designed to get them to the next thing.
1: Yeah. And just to be clear, like this movie those little triangle things, the navigators or whatever, they decided what those were on reshoots. There's a lot of lines yeah. of dialogue where you can't see the character's face, like they're you're, they're talking from behind them or whatever. This movie was re-edited and reshot so that those little triangle things and you can. This is I didn't come up with this. There, there's people who have worked out what they originally were supposed to be. They're like holocrons or something that that it's clear that on reshoots, they made them something else because I fully believe that the emperor and that whole thing was added in reshoots that they, that they had a cut of the movie or a version of it that, you know, the the screenwriter for this thing was brought on board after they had started shooting long after pre-production had finished. Like, This was not a movie somebody sat down and wrote in any any meaningful sense. This was a movie that was thrown together in a panic to meet a deadline with people working 100 hour weeks plus and sleeping on office floors, trying to get something coherent out. Out the door, yeah. it, it, everyone involved in this movie knows these basics of storytelling. I'm I'm talking about things that you learn if you go out, you know, to uh, on Amazon and buy like a little cheap paperback book on how to write a screenplay. It has all this stuff in it. This is the first thing they teach you on the you know the first day of creative writing class. There's there's nobody involved in these movies who somehow just doesn't know how stories work. But yeah, in order to get that movie out for that December release date, it's like, well, this is what, yeah. this is what you're getting. Cause we've got, you have to finish these effects shots. The effects people have to know, like they're rendering these star destroyers now. So they have to be there <laughs> as to how they're there, who built them, who's, who's manning them that, that we lost that like four script drafts <laughs> ago. They're magic. They, they were magicked by the force.
0: What's amazing to me is this still applies to movies that don't have that problem. The Conjuring 3, which I don't know if you've seen, but it is also a series of weird fetch quests to the point that they forget what they're doing. Like, (laughs) if you watch the trailer of that, the premise that a a man commits a murder and claims the devil made me do it, you think that's going to be the film. It isn't. It's like the first 20 minutes. And the Warrens say, we'll help you out. We'll go investigate. Uh, this demon that you claim to be possessed of. And then they find a previous case of a woman who is possessed. They follow that thread, which leads them to like a church with a priest, um, which they start dealing with that. They, they go to like a morgue uh, and like psychically connect with another character who died and they have to fight demons. Um, Ed Warren gets possessed. They do this big weird thing where they're like fighting this demon in a church basement uh, and then they win, and then it ends with the guy at the court getting the verdict of, like, we're, we're pushing it down to manslaughter, and you're going to get out in five years. And he's like, thanks, guys. And they all give thumbs up, and it was like, wait, you forgot to show the part where they helped him, because they didn't actually do that. They went on a different adventure. The movie completely loses track of what it's, trying, what it's supposed to be doing, and that doesn't have, like, complicated effects stuff. You'd think like it's what's amazing and we'll definitely get into this in the future. It's incredible when it's like the cheapest part should be writing the movie and it's wild that they don't spend enough time on that. Yeah. Uh, but there's a million reasons that we'll get into why that is. Yeah. By, by uh, the way, anybody
1: out there who, who is trying to write things, write short stories. If you ever find yourself stuck where it's like, well, I don't know what to have, happen next in my story. Switch to your villain and think what's what's your villain doing? What are mm-hmm. what are they doing at this time? Because have them initiate the next thing. Because again, it, it's a back and forth. But you can you can hilariously see like the old when the disaster movies were all the rage, like in the Twister era, and right. uh, or like Armageddon. You can see them trying to do this where they'll have like the tornado do something. <laughs> it's like yeah, the tornado has, has tracked us to another location because it becomes because the, the tornado has to be the villain. So they have to like invent or like Armageddon will be like, oh, no, another piece of the asteroid is broken off and, and it's heading toward yeah. Paris. It's like because it's time for like the heroes aren't doing anything right now. So it's like, OK, well, we need the, the bad guy to take some sort of action. That's what they're doing. Twister
0: is the best one, though. Yeah, because it like gets revenge. Uh, right. On Joe's like aunt or something like that. Um, all right. Well, we have one more section. We have one last thing. Um, we probably could have talked about this earlier when we were talking about action, but I do think this is a really important one. Um, so our final thing we want to talk about here is the way action is done specifically. And we've sort of talked about it, uh, on the last thing as well, but specifically having the action fit the, the actual characters and the world that they're in.
1: Yeah. In other words, making it creative, (laughs)
0: Yeah. Based on what's
1: going on in that universe. So, you know, if you, if you have characters who can do, we mentioned this, that the Netflix superhero movie, it's in here somewhere. The old guard. Is that what it was called? Or am I misremembering? The Shirley there We complained about this in, in our podcast there because they are a series of immortal warriors who have been fighting for thousands of years and know every, the whole thing is supposed to be that they know like every fighting technique and also, they, they can't die. But when it comes time for the action scenes, it's just AR-15s shooting blanks. It's, it's just so... And it's so boring.
0: It's, it's so boring. I would, I would say the biggest offender of this is the Marvel films. Because they start introducing things like WandaVision, where they're like, this is otherworldly stuff this is, this is psychological or doctor strange where they're literally bending reality or Loki when it's also bending reality. And then they keep stopping and having the characters like, just like fight each other, like Kung Fu fight. And it's like, surely there's a better way for like Loki to, to, to get out of a situation. Wanda vision is all about grief and what's happening. Um, to Wanda and this otherworldly situation and it ends with them just sort of shooting magic at each other in the sky and it was like really we couldn't think of any way to end this besides them just fighting um Doctor Strange is probably the best version because he does the thing where he dies over and over again so he actually does use like his brain like it's just weird when they introduce these like clever characters and then they just have to fight
1: I would Uh, hold Dr. Strange up as Marvel's best execution of this because they mm -hmm. literally sat down and said, okay, what can this character do that no one else can do? And so how can we build the action around what only you could only get this in a Dr. Strange movie? And, And you mentioned up here, like, I believe that movie was made or I, I don't know, maybe it doesn't, the timing doesn't work out, but it feels like it was a fulfillment of what we thought inception would be when we saw yes. the trailer where they literally make it a point that this in the dream world. You can bend the entire horizon over you and change gravity. And then when it comes time to have the final a- action scene, it's just AR 15s. I, I swear yep. that the manufacturer of those AR 15 style rifles That they're paying for product placement because Hollywood never gets tired of endless shooting, shooting, shooting with AR-15s. And you saw it in The Walking Dead. It never affects anything because there's always more zombies. It's just we have to punctuate the scene with a bunch of noise. And then you saw it again at the end of Tenet. Again, Tenet, a movie in which you've established, like you've had this car chase. It's all based on forward-moving time interacting with reverse-moving time, and the finale of that movie is just a bunch of nameless soldiers shooting, shooting, shooting AR-15s. Yep. And at no point can you tell who was winning that battle, what they're trying to accomplish, what they, what those soldiers are trying to accomplish. You know what the heroes no, they, are trying to do.
0: Yeah, they literally code them as blue team and red team to make it a little easier, and it's still not. It still, it still doesn't make sense.
1: You don't even know who, like it's. You don't see the bad guys. You don't get a sense of how many there are, what they're trying to do. It's just it, they, they have convinced themselves that the sound and the sight of people shooting AR fifteen blanks at each other is inherently interesting, and that it yeah. adds, that it adds action or drama or tension to any scene where the finale of Tenet could have taken place inside a building. That is in the process of falling down and being built because they are, they've twisted time. And so part of the building is being constructed and part of the building is collapsing or something or, or the building, you know, they, they detonated and it, it, you know, collapses in on itself, but they've reversed time. So it is reverse collapsing and they have to traverse this reverse collapse building. Like you could contain it where it's just five characters traversing this finite space where time is moving backward and forward simultaneously and it's get creative with it and instead it's just guns 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 and it just the,
0: yeah the the scene that i think sums it up perfectly is an in inception where he's i think um one of the characters is shooting at the bad guys tom hardy comes up and says you got to learn to dream a little bigger and produces a bigger gun <laughs> yeah and uses that and it was like wow
1: And this is in a movie where you've already seen like a locomotive up here in the middle of a busy street. Yeah. You you, like, they've made it clear that there are no rules because it's a dream. So you would expect you've got a dream a little bigger, darling. You would think he'd have like a dinosaur come eat the guy.
0: No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's a dream
1: you know or 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 you you pull out a gun and it and it melts him or something but it's no it's just it's just a gun and more guns and blanks and shooting because they've just decided that's cool and maybe other people do like that but like an army of the dead like they're going up against zombies guns don't really do much to zombies it's like well yeah you shoot them in the head and they fall over but it's like yeah but as a coherent threat it doesn't do anything there's there's just more zombies behind them Right. So like as the they thing- move through the space, it's just shooting, shooting, shooting. And and all it does is like kind of clear a path for them. It's like, well, give me a more creative way to do that. Give me a more creative way of clearing a path. So it's not just endlessly shooting blanks from AR-15s.
0: Right. It's funny because ironically, I think the movie that did this right was The Matrix, but only because The Matrix came first. Because that's all still shooting, shooting, shooting. They just did it in a way that we had never seen before. Using the world that they had created. Where they're like, you know, these people can stop time now. So they can dodge bullets. Um, and I, I wonder if The Matrix kind of created this problem. Because even, like, even movies that try to do solve this creatively still love guns. I think of that movie Equilibrium. Where it has gun kata. Where they're like this time they're they're using the guns to like to like do kung fu on each other, uh, but for some reason they always still need guns. Yeah, and again, my
1: complaint is not that they have guns; they use guns in John Wick. It's that in John Wick or in Aliens, like every bullet that's fired does something. Right. Like if you want to watch in um, the original Predator film. They have this great scene where it's like it is a parody of 80s action movies, basically, for the first half. Like these these stereotypical, muscle bound 80s action stars land in a jungle, they take out some bad guys, and on and on. And then these guys suddenly find themselves in a slasher movie. And they find themselves in a movie where their guns don't do anything. So they're shooting. There's plenty of shooting, but it's they're up against something that can't be shot, and it's great because it uses that. Like they actually have that iconic scene where they all start shooting and like mow down an entire section of forest, right? And, and then realize happens. we we had nothing. Like we didn't we did nothing, and that's great because it announces to the audience you know circumstances have changed. We have raised the stakes. These guys came here believing their guns could solve any problem. And now they're up against an enemy that is in some ways very prim- primitive, but is also very advanced. And they have to now have to outthink it and they have to outsmart it and they have to escape. And now they are like the hunted. It's it's great in the way it uses yeah. it to use that to its advantage. In aliens, they have guns, but at each stage, it's clear they're not going to beat the aliens with guns and every time like they try to shoot and fail or they run out of bullets or whatever and there's even like the first thing that happens is they have to to they get into an area where they can't use their guns because that reactor is right. there and so it, the plot at each stage like every bullet that is fired raises the stakes or it informs character or it moves the plot forward because they're having to retreat into this facility and so on like it's always very clear what's going on they never use oh, the yeah. gunfire as just filler
0: no, because also the aliens have acid blood, which was a great idea. So, like, yeah, they one of them shoots an alien with a shotgun. The acid blood gets everywhere, burns another character. That becomes a serious problem for that character, and so on and so forth. The action, it, I, I think this is something, part of the end-then problem, too, is, like, the action actually uh, causes things to happen. <laughs> like, plot to move forward, or, like... Uh, causes problems for characters uh that is that plays into it that becomes an issue later stuff like that
1: Uh, right and Um, and and so the way they tell you in screenwriting class like your scene should never be and then this happens it should always be because this just happened that means this happens you know it's not just a series of things occurring it's we're in this situation because of what just happened. And then each thing raises the stakes. It's harder than it sounds. <laughs> it really is. Oh, yeah. Because when you sit down to tell your story, it's like, okay, I know there's a scene where my boy ninja like has his first training thing. And then I know there's going to be a scene where his mentor is going to die because that's the way it happens in those movies. Like, I know there's these beats I have to hit. And I know in my head when I'm writing it, I'm arriving at the first time where he's no longer in training, but he has to fight somebody for real because evil ninjas infiltrate the ninja school and kill his headmaster or whatever. It's like, I know I'm about to get here. So the challenge is I have to think about why, what caused this to happen, but like what from here, because if you don't have that, there's no momentum in the movie. The audience just sitting back watching a series of things occur. They have to be with right. the character advancing through here. It's like, Oh crap, because he lost his amulet. He's now no longer invulnerable to sword attack and he can be killed. So now we've raised the stakes. And because that happened, now he has to do this. It is a meticulous, difficult process. And I, I appreciate that. It's hard but I also think that Zack Snyder kind of just doesn't care because
0: that's the thing is that like, I always compare it to if you've ever for fun made a crossword puzzle, when you make a crossword puzzle, you have to start with a theme. Um, You know, they all have themes, so you know, okay, these have, these words have to be in here and then you have to build around it. And if something doesn't work, an entire chunk will fall apart. So like writing a story ideally is creating a, a, a series of ideas that fit perfectly within each other right so that they all feel like they naturally happen and like you're saying it's much like making a crossword puzzle that shit is hard and uh, n- uh you know no one can claim to be amazing at it or a genius at it it's a struggle it's why there's you know it's why like the sixth sense twist didn't come t- till the fifth draft like uh, this shit takes time someone like zach snyder or some of these movies it feels and we said it before like a first draft thing because it feels like they aren't even trying and that's the thing it's like it's it's okay to try and fail but it's weird when these films feel like they aren't even doing the the trying part
1: yeah not trying at this part they're trying extremely hard at uh the effects work the stunt work you know like like that's where the effort is going he doesn't think this part is important or whatever or doesn't understand why it's important but uh, because that's that's a case where i do think like i don't think anyone was rushing him to make his his four-hour snyder cut (laughs) but it still has it still has a problem of not neatly you know building stakes or whatever or not tying character to action because again the whole thing with you know the other thing for you aspiring writers out there, your characters and your story are not separate things. You're not a story is not like a set of monkey bars that your character climbs on. The character is part of the bars. For example, right. John Wick. That story can only happen to John Wick. The, the The entire thing is that he lives out in this beautiful house, but it's away from everybody. He and his wife lived. He has separated himself from the world. They do not have any friends. He has separated himself from this world that he had lived in, that he had created, and he is being drawn back into it. That doesn't work if you portray John Wick as being an outgoing, glib, gregarious, like talkative guy who lives in New York and likes to party. None of that plot works if he's doing that. It all ties together because he has tried to disconnect himself from everything that's in the city, which in that universe, the city is just full of assassins. (laughs) Like the the city is like 25% professional assassins, and he has removed himself from it, and he has to descend back into it. Like who he is and the story, the adventure he's on are the same thing. Star Wars can only happen to Luke, him being stranded on a remote planet, feeling like he's away from the action. You know, he doesn't have, you know, this whole world with spaceships and all the stuff that he wants to be a part of. You know, he's born on this loser backwater planet, and then he aspires to be off of it. The story can only happen to, to him. Uh, so that's why, like, the thing with... You know, Doctor Strange. He is a science-based guy. He believes in you know his his skill as a surgeon and all that. He has to learn that magic is real, and then in the end, he has to depend on magic to win the thing that he didn't even believe in before. That's his. It's right. his arc. Only only the arrogant, uh, you know, secular Doctor Strange uh, can can have that arc.
0: And going back to John Wick, by the way uh he he doesn't just use guns he also uses horses uh even even john wick they feel like how do we make this interesting and different yeah
1: by the second movie right because they're 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 trying to make every single action scene unique every single scene is unique you don't get the same thing twice ever and so, yeah, it's a lot of guns, but they also like, they are always trying to change, you know, there's a lot of hand to hand stuff or, or whatever, but they're always trying to change so that it's never just generic. We're going to hear, okay, we have to shoot the zombies for a while and now we're going to do this. And then we have to shoot the zombies for a while. and Now we do this like it, but anyway.
0: Jeez. Hmm. Um, so uh, we said we were going to do a short one this time.
1: No, we failed and, uh, in that.
0: We failed. We failed, yeah. That's all right. I I, I forgive us. I think I think the listeners forgive us. Any any other th- final thoughts? I feel like you've pretty much wrapped it up.
1: No, yeah. Right and again, the anything that didn't make it in here, we'll bring it to the next episode. It's going to be about mistakes people make in, just world building in general, trying to build your fictional universe. This one was about yeah. story structure. That one was more about... Just when you're setting the stage for things in the larger, just failures and try to convey setting that kind of thing. We'll get into that in the next episode.
0: Yep, and I think just sort of uh, potpourri of anything we forgot to mention. Well, we don't say that two. out
1: loud. It's implied sure. that anything we forgot to mention, we're going to put in that episode. It's more of yes. a catch-all miscellaneous, but
0: yeah, it's like a it's like a sack. That we're just throwing everything in.
1: The things that occur you know, to us delicious stew in between recordings that we should have mentioned this time that yeah. failed to, we yeah. will invent a reason to mention them in the next one.
0: All right. Well, until then, uh, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Jason, thank you so much for co-hosting with me. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I should note that if you want to start plugging stuff at the top of these uh, and, you know, like just to get get that out of the way uh, i always feel I bad they, when it's like two hour podcast and then it's like yeah i guess some people do probably
1: bail out before now but yeah we'll do that next time but yeah uh the last novel i wrote is a science fiction novel called zoe punches the future in the Dick. it is available anywhere you buy books in hardcover or ebook or audio any format any place Um, also launched a Substack newsletter at jasonpargen.substack.com. It's just a blog you can read online, or if you want it emailed to you, they will do that too. You just subscribe. It's free, completely free. There are no ads. It's just, uh, it's a blog that they will email to you. That's the thing they're doing now.
0: That's, uh, all right. Sounds good. Um, well, I should probably uh, plug uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. You go on there, you find exclusive podcasts like Tom and Jeff Watch Batman and Fox Mulder a Maniac and Star Trek The Next Futurama. Check it out. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, that's it. We still haven't figured out a zany anything, right? We're still not. A, we still
1: no. that are pro- our, no our, our zany sign off will probably our catchphrase. will probably have to wait for episode three.
0: All right. Well, this has been Movie Bros. (laughs) Um, Bye, (laughs) everyone.